So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshall's. Shawn Michaels thinks he's so great because he sang his own song. Well, Shawn, as I've been telling you, anything you can do, We can do better. Hit the music. What does he mean by that? Oh, oh, I think I'm cute. I got no medals. I got the moves that makes them all tap out. The angle slam, the angle lock. Marty Janetti. Sim can't walk up just a sexy curve. Your ankle hurt. I'm just a sexy girl. I make your ankle hurt. Ankle hurt. Woo! That's right, Sean. Eat your heart out. Hands off the merchandise. Woo! Imagine that. Me, Vince McMahon. Imagine that. Here I am on WCW television. How can that happen? Well, there's only one way. You see, it was just a matter of time before I, Vince McMahon, bought my competition. That's right. I own WCW. So therefore, in its final broadcast tonight on TNT, I have the opportunity to address you, the WCW fans. I have an opportunity to address you, the WCW superstars. What is the fate of WCW? Well, tonight, in a special simulcast, you'll all find out. Because the fate, the very fate, of WCW is in my hands. Ah, you gotta love Sexy Kurt. <laughs> and if anybody is a newer listener that don't know the story behind that, you know, at that time, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels were building a feud. And Kurt Angle, if you remember last week's episode that we did, uh, Kurt Angle had wrestled Marty Jannetty. Now, he wrestled Marty Jannetty as part of the whole storyline of Angle versus HBK, but Jannetty impressed WWE officials so much, they offered him a deal. Problem is, Jannetty had some legal issues that were not originally discussed, and he tried to deny it. You remember the story. Bottom line is, that's why Jannetty was brought in. Now, this week in history, Kurt Angle had brought back Sensational Sherry, and if you watch the footage... All right, she looked so beautiful at that age, even when she was brought in. And this was right before she passed. And it's a shame she died so young. But you watch the segment, Kurt Angle doing his impersonation of sexy boy Shawn Michaels. 
And then at the very end, Kurt Angle puts Sherry in the ankle lock. So it was a great segment, but we'll play a little bit more of that audio a little bit later. And obviously, this week is the anniversary of WWE buying WCW and WCW going out of business. Pretty, that's that's really they, no other way to put it. I know WWE tried to do that storyline, but, you know, WCW was done. And it's a real sad moment in wrestling history. We'll cover that a little bit more later on. Got some good audio clips this week. I think you'll enjoy it. Covers all different scopes of this week in wrestling history. And I want to welcome everyone. This week, what is it? Episode 12. Episode 12. And we cover the period of March 20th through March 26th. Now, I know a lot of people keep asking me this, and I'm going to just repeat this again. It's episode 12, and people are like, wait a minute, you did many more than 12 episodes. What's the deal? Yes, last year I did about 23 or 24 episodes of this. But pretty much it was something new to do on the shows. And if people forget, originally the whole idea of doing a little look back in memory lane segment was to add some additional content to the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show episodes. I mean, look, the current state of pro wrestling, yes, you're around WrestleMania time right now, but you look at the lack of traction impact wrestling has. You don't have a lot of other federations to talk about. You know, Ring of Honor, New Japan, you have it a little bit here and there, but not enough to fill a whole entire show because the majority of fans out there don't follow those products other than maybe what they read in news wires and see a couple of clips here and there. So... The original idea is we'll do a little segment this week in wrestling history, 10, 15 minutes long, getting into a couple little highlights, get into some personal stories as well, and attach that pre-recorded audio to every Monday's DTKC show. And as more research was done and your feedback came in and all the suggestions of adding audio clips and doing this and doing that and doing this, it turned into a life of its own. And it got so big that obviously this needed to be its own little podcast. And I hope you enjoy it. I mean, I've said this several times now. This by far has been the hardest show I, to ever been done on my end. The amount of research that you have to pull, the amount of verification of uh, results and dates and years and matches you know getting little storylines that people may have forgot about memories and then going back and watching some of these shows and find some audio clips that obviously a lot of people will remember but some you may not have so it really took a life of its own and I'm having a ball doing it and I want to thank everybody for uh, just your appreciation and all the feedback to it it's it's phenomenal it's awesome so, uh, one, oh, one other thing, uh, just getting back to what I said earlier, when people said, you know, you've done more than 12 episodes, why is this only episode 12? Well, last year for the 20 plus episodes I did, it was test runs. It was to add it to the other shows. So now because it's taken a life of its own, I figured, you know what? The first week in January, we will go balls out do this whole entire podcast all on its own, add audio clips and other stuff to it, and that'll be episode one. And the episode numbers represent also the week that we're at in the year. So right now we're in the 12th week of the year, so it's episode 12, which means a whole season of these shows would be 52 episodes. And then next year, 
We'll recycle some of this information since obviously it's not going to change, but we'll add other clips and other tidbits and things that happened this year. We could add to it and things that happened in yesteryear that, you know, might've been overlooked. We can rehash those as well. So some great audio uh, clips this week and some wrestling debuts and some of the debuts I actually was able to pull like their original opponent, where it took place. That's one of the hardest things to do. And there's one in particular I wish I could have gotten all the details. I have an idea as far as where one particular wrestler had his first ever match, but I didn't want to make a mistake. And I didn't want to contact the person's brother because it's a very emotional time right now because, you know, this is close to the anniversary where this person had uh, his birthday and he has passed on. So I figured, you know what? We'll leave it for another time. But anyway, 1973, a lot of you are in Japanese wrestling. Jomo Suruta makes his pro wrestling debut. He wrestled in Amarillo, Texas for a promotion, NWA Western States. He defeated El Gran Tapia. So there you go. 1979, very memorable. I wish I could get my hands on this card to watch it. Everybody talks about how, you know, you rarely ever see multiple promotions wrestling on the same card. Well, this week in 1979, it happened for the AWA promotion. First, you had Bob Backlund as the WWF champion taking on AWA champion Nick Bockwinkle. They wrestled to a double countout, and this match was so cool at the time and important. You go and you do your Google image search history, August 1979, that match made the cover. And they hyped it up as like one of the most important matches of all time in this set because it was AWA versus WWF. But not only that, on that same card that nobody talks about, the NWA tag team champions, Jimmy Snooker and Paul Orndorff, defended their titles against Big John Studd and Ken Patera. And you also had Dino Bravo, who was the Canadian champion, taking on Greg Valentine, the U.S. champion Ricky Steamboat taking on Ric Flair. This was an epic night for wrestling, and it took place March 1979. 1980, Kerry Von Erich makes his Madison Square Garden debut for the WWF. He defeats Jose Estrada. This match is on the WWE Network for anybody who wants to go check it out. 1981, a very fun and entertaining match. Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk had a massive feud back in the day. Spanned across several years. And this match in itself, you could find it online. Really, really fun if you want to go check it out. Jerry Lawler over Terry Funk by Countout. This week in 1981 at the Mid-South Coliseum. Go seek it out. 1986 this week, the late, great Chris Candido makes his pro wrestling debut. And I, I don't have any information as far as that match the earliest i could find as far as a professional match for chris candido is all the way in 1991 when he wrestled in jersey against jimmy shoulders so i was going to contact his brother johnny who i talk to periodically on facebook i've told stories before and things about the documentary but you know this is the anniversary of his birthday as well this the, the last week or so And, yeah, I didn't want to mention it to him, but I will look into to see where his first match actually ever took place and who it was against. But uh, if you actually do the math, Chris Candido, you know, he was in his teens when he made his pro wrestling debut. 
other matches, uh, you know, of his, you, you got to go back. I mean, there's a lot of cool memories of Chris Candido before he ever became famous. But here in the Northeast and getting to uh, become friendly with him personally before he passed, it, it's, I, I've said it before. People have asked me, like, what deaths in pro wrestling really, like, got you choked up? And I have always said he is at uh, the top of the list because of just personally. I mean, I'm, I've, there's others as well. Owen Hart, Eddie Guerrero. I mean, there's there's a few. But uh, the Chris Candido one, it's one of those moments, where were you when it happened? And I have told the story before. I was going to my friend's restaurant in Long Island. I remember my white Lincoln, uh, the sunroof was broken. So I had cardboard taped to the top of it so nobody would try to, like, jump in from the top and then try to steal the radios and shit. And as I'm walking to into the door of my friend's restaurant, my cell phone rings, and it's the mass maniac. And I pick up the phone, and he's wailing like a baby. And I said, what's up? What happened? And he says, Chris died. And I was like, no. And he's like, yep. And he told me a lot of details. You know, some, most of it's been released since, you know, the death happened. But some, they were very intimate that it was just sad. I mean, it was such a fucking sad moment. I mean, the guy had cleaned up his act and, uh, you know, had the injury in TNA and flew back to the to the East Coast and, you know, sitting at a dinner table and getting a blood clot. Man, that was rough. That was rough. And there's been other things involved with that as well. That, you know, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with the way TNA handled it. But still, we're looking back at wrestling history and let's celebrate the fact that this week was the pro wrestling debut of Chris Candido. Another debut this week in 1988, Jerry Lynn. He also made his debut, official pro wrestling debut. 1991, Conan, in a match against Pero Aguayo, he lost his mask. It was a hair versus mask match at CMLL in La Arena, Arena, Mexico. Also in 1991, now we start getting into the WrestleManias. Like I said last week, last week I think only uh, two had taken place on that particular week. This week, you have a few additional ones. First, we got WrestleMania 7, most notably of Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan. You know, we've heard the story over the years about the security threats, and they were forced to move the event from the 92,000-seat L.A. Memorial Coliseum, which people have said the seats would have went over 100,000 because they would have put, you know, additional boxes there, uh, to the smaller L.A. Sports Arena. And um, it was a very interesting match. So, and it went long. They they have noted over the years that this would be the last WrestleMania to broadcast into a fourth hour until we got WrestleMania 2000. So, most notably on the card, obviously, Slaughter versus Hogan. Little tidbit as well. Undertaker defeating Jimmy Snuka. This was the first of Undertaker's 21 consecutive wins at uh, WrestleMania. So just figured I'd share that with everyone. Also, the Nasty Boys defeated the Hart Foundation for the WWF tag titles. The reason why I mention this, this was the last match, really, of the Hart Foundation teaming up. After this match, Vince decided to push Brett as a singles wrestler. Another match that night, and this one, you know, I mean, we've laughed over the years about it because of the some of the women in the crowd and Bobby Heenan's reaction to it. 
I know in this PC era, we're not supposed to make fun of it, but fuck that. Go look at the footage. Ultimate Warrior defeats Randy Savage in a retirement match. After the match, Sensational Sherry, Queen Sherry, attacks Savage. Miss Elizabeth climbs over the guardrail, attacks uh, Sherry. Savage and Elizabeth reunite. There's women bawling in tears, and the camera decided to focus on some of the ugliest women you have seen in a long time. And Bobby Heenan's reactions to it was fucking priceless. It really was. So memorable WrestleMania, without a doubt. Uh, A match tidbit that you might get a kick out of that you may not have known about. Uh, That same week in 1991, Tatsumi Fujinami, defeated Ric Flair to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship in Japan for the WCW slash New Japan Super Show. Now, it gets confusing, everyone. Ric Flair's WCW World title was not on the line for the American version of the show. This was covered in America. This was also covered in Japan. Now... Ric Flair's WCW title was not on the line, but yet here in America, the NWA and WCW title were the same. Yet the American version sold it as a title versus title match. So now ask yourself this. Wait a minute. The WCW title was not on the line, yet it was advertised as a title versus title match, and the NWA and WCW title were the same. So how could it be on the line if it's not on the line? In Japan, they always acknowledged at that time that the WCW world title and the NWA world title were different belts. So as far as Japan goes, Japan recognized it that the NWA title was on the line, not WCW. So anyway, basically what had happened in the match Bill Alfonso was the referee. Yes, that Bill Alfonso. At one point, he was a pretty damn good referee, and he has refereed some high-profile matches in his career. I think a lot of people always think that Bill Alfonso was just Taz's manager and Sabu and, you know, did a little bit of... No, he actually was a pretty established referee at that time. So anyway, during this match, Bill Alfonso was knocked out. And at another point during the match, Ric Flair was backtropped over the top rope. And under WCW rules, that is a no-no. That leads to a disqualification. So now, a few moments later, another referee from New Japan comes out, Tiger Haddon. He counts the match, and Fujinami wins. So now, they're advertising that Fujinami won the NWA heavyweight title. After the match, they're doing promos, a post-show. Ric Flair gets uh, involved in a press conference, takes back the WCW World Heavyweight title and said that if he wants the belt, come back to um, come to America and take it from him. But Japan recognized Fujinami as the NWA Heavyweight title for two months. Is this confusing enough for everyone out there? How do you, like, not get this all squared away before the match happens? But still... Hey, it was an interesting match. It was an important match. It was a good match. And a lot of his footage is online. 1992, Triple H makes his pro wrestling debut. Fresh out of Kilikowski School. Kilikowski had a federation called the IWF, the International Wrestling Federation. So it was this week, March of 1992, under the name Terrorizing, 
he went on to defeat a wrestler by the name of Tony Roy. Some of you may know Tony Roy as Antoine Roy. Tony Roy has wrestled in the WWF at least 30, 40 times on television. If you see him, you'll know who I'm talking about. Early years, he kind of had a similar gimmick as what Triple H had in, you know, with the with the outfit, you know, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And later on, he looked like a sort of a jacked up, just incredible, like really jacked up. I mean, he just, they looked similar because they had bald heads and goatees, but he really didn't, his face didn't look so, but you'll see what I'm talking about. But you'd be surprised if you look up Tony Roy's career, he wrestled quite a few times for WWF. I mean, he wrestled The Rock. He wrestled, you know, pow, gets powers of pain. I mean, go down the list. So this guy actually was around for quite some time. So there you go. 1993, WWF creates the Hall of Fame. And only one person was inducted this week in 1993, Andre the Giant. So very, very nice. And hopefully one day soon we get a physical Hall of Fame, which we will. I truly believe that will definitely, without a doubt, happen. Absolutely. You know, maybe it'll be somewhere tied into the performance center, but with all this history that WWF is trying to make with the women and Andre the Giant Battle Royal and all this other stuff, I mean, they got to have a Hall of Fame representing a lot of these moments. So, Also this week in 93, Jared King Lawler makes his WWF in-ring debut. He did it on Monday Night Raw, defeating Jim Powers. So now we get to another WrestleMania, 1994 WrestleMania 10. And uh, this was the first time for the company that um, there was two WWF championship matches on the same night. Now, remember, this was all the controversy with Lex Luger and Bret Hart with the Royal Rumble. Remember, they were both determined sort of to win, and they would do a coin toss as far as who would face what. Anyway, the coin toss would basically have the, the, the loser of the coin toss would have a second match on the show against a predetermined suitable opponent. So they determined in advance that the loser, uh, if it was Lex Luger, he would have to take on Crush. If it was Bret Hart, he would have to take on Owen Hart. So what ended up happening was Owen Hart lost the coin toss. He actually wrestled, uh, Bret Hart lost the coin toss. He wrestled Owen Hart and lost. This is one of the best matches in early WrestleManias. If you don't remember it or if you never saw it, Go check out Owen versus Brett, WrestleMania 10. Absolutely phenomenal match. Also, who can obviously forget Razor Ramon over Shawn Michaels in a ladder match to retain the IC Championship. Very memorable match as well. Yokozuna defeating Lex Luger by DQ to retain the WWF title. Mr. Perfect was the special guest referee. You then had Bret Hart defeating Yokozuna to win the WWF title. Roddy Piper was the special referee. So you had Yokozuna wrestling twice, and you had the title defended twice. And uh, it was a a pretty damn good WrestleMania at that time. I mean, I remember the Big X. And I know a lot of people who went to 10. A lot of people who went to 10. And uh, they said it was good. So, you know, there was a couple other... You know, matches on the card. One I'll mention very quickly. Randy Savage defeated Crush in a Falls Count Anywhere match. And the reason why I mentioned this one, this was Randy Savage's last televised match for WWF. Not only WrestleMania, but just in general. He would shortly then after, you know, leave to go to WCW. 
you know, he did commentating and everything, but this was his last televised match. 1996. You know, I read, uh, I do a lot of research as far as matches, and some of the areas where I do my research, you know, Dave Meltzer's input is given. You know, match stars, you know, best match on a card, worst, you know, best card of the year, worst event of the year, blah, 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 blah. And I have a lot of respect for Dave Meltzer. I know, you know, he's not perfect. And I know that there's good and bad about him, but what he did for me, helping with the Conan Drive, get the word out, the newsletters that he sent me when Chris Candido passed, when I was doing the the, the fundraising, selling the shirts, the Chris Candido Memorial Show, uh, Meltzer was the only person, as far as the major news, quote-unquote, news sites out there, he was the only person who took the time and effort to try to help raise money. I mean, there were a couple of websites that would post blurbs. Bill Apter was great as well, but a lot of websites just, you know, would give it like just a little mention here and there, never really put any effort into it, and always remember that shit. But uh, Meltzer rated WCW Uncensored 1996 as the worst major show of the year. And, yeah, some of the matches were hokey, and I watched it again recently, but... Looking back on it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, some of it was hokey, but it wasn't that bad. I mean, you look at the match, uh, the main event. You had the mega powers of Hogan and Savage beating the Alliance to end Hulkamania in a three-tier doomsday cage match. The Alliance was Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Meng, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z Gangsta, and the Ultimate Solution. So, yeah, it was kind of hokey, but still. All right. But um, one of the matches that I absolutely, absolutely love. And if you want to see physicality, I'm I'm serious. Go out of your way to check out this match. Finley versus William Regal. Just watch that match from Uncensored 96. And who could ever forget the outfit that Kimberly had on for the booty man? Oh, my God. 1997, WrestleMania 13. Do you know, and obviously we had Brett versus Steve Austin, you know, my my top three of favorite matches of all time in WrestleMania, easy. And I think that's on a lot of people's lists. Fucking told a beautiful story. You know, even Meltzer rated it five stars, which I totally agree. You know, Steve Austin and Bret Hart changing sides as far as heels and faces. Ken Shamrock was the special referee. Steve Austin bloodied that just visual of him grimacing in pain and the blood dripping down his face. And if you watch the interviews he has said over the years, he knew that there was a beautiful visual there and he fucking emphasized it and it was just phenomenal. And then Steve Austin refusing help and walking to the back on his own. It was just from beginning to end was one of the best stories told in a match that I have ever seen. And I've been a fan of wrestling since 1979. And, you know, there were other matches on the card as well. I mean, you know, we had Sid and Undertaker and others. But do you realize, I don't know if people understand this, that there was only 237,000 pay-per-view buys. Okay, that is the lowest pay-per-view buy rate ever for a WrestleMania. Now, we're not counting WWE Network because, you know, the the way pay-per-views are handled nowadays is a lot different. But when you realize that the card wasn't even sold out, 
That event wasn't even sold out. Apparently, it is the only time in WrestleMania history that a WrestleMania event did not sell out. So just give you a little bit of detail at that time. But yet, if you follow over the years, there's about 850,000 people who said that they were there live to see WrestleMania 13. So there you go. 1998. And we got some audio clips coming up, everyone. I was going to play some audio clips with the old stuff, but we got some doozies I think you'll really enjoy later on. But first, 1998, Takeshi Morishima makes his pro wrestling debut. He wrestled in a match at All Japan Pro Wrestling's Championship Carnival Day 2. He lost against Kentaro Shiga. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. Also in 1998, WWF presented the Slammy Awards. This would be the last Slammys for 10 years. After 98, we had no Slammy Awards until 2008. And in case you're wondering who won Slammys in 98, here you go. New, new sensation, Rocky Maivia, best dressed Sable, best tattoo. We'll get Sable in a moment again. Best tattoo, The Undertaker. Match of the year, Brett versus Sean, WrestleMania 12. Best hair, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Loose screw, Mankind. Best bow tie. Uh, no winner, Owen Hart stole the Slammy. I think a lot of people forget how Owen Hart got that Slammy. Best entrance music, The Undertaker. Best finisher, uh, HBK Sweet Chin Music. Best couple, Goldust and Marlena. Freedom of Speech Award, on uh, Steve Austin. Star of the Highest Magnitude, The Undertaker. Lifetime Achievement Award, Arnold Skolin. Miss Slammy, Sable. You know, that, that actually should be an award that WWE should bring back, just as I think about it. Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, I know what some of you are going to think. Ah, oh, WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's, you know, you, that is the ultimate Lifetime Achievement Award. But you know what? I actually like the idea of giving that to someone who may have dedicated his entire life to wrestling, but maybe you wouldn't classify that person as a Hall of Famer. And look, I'm not saying that Harvey Wilpman doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame or Steve Lombardi or anyone else, but why not? Lifetime Achievement Award. I, you could give it to someone who contributed their entire career, their life to wrestling, who may not have been Hall of Famer. You know, give it to Johnny Rods. Give it, there's so many people. Johnny Rods, I think, is in the Hall of Fame. So I don't want anybody to immediately say to me, oh, wait a minute, Johnny Rods, Hall of Fame, blah, 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 blah. I think you see where I'm going with this. And by the way, Johnny Rods, if I remember correctly, was in the WWE Hall of Fame 1996. My point is names that you wouldn't necessarily associate with Hall of Fame, but dedicated their whole career to wrestling or WWF, WWE, why not? Lifetime Achievement Award. I like it. I don't know if you out there feel that way. And I know that they acknowledge a lot of wrestlers from old school era, you know, long time golden era. But I think, you know what? A lifetime achievement award. I like the idea. So anyway, let's go to 1999. I mentioned moments ago that I was going to be bringing up Sable again. It's not a big deal, but just a little tidbit. Some of you might get a kick out of. It also give you an idea as far as what was going on on Nitro and what was going on on Raw Back this week in 1999. First off, do you remember who was voted Miss NWO, Miss Wolfpack, 1999, WCW? Do you remember? Well, 1999 this week, WCW was in Florida. And I always remember this episode of Nitro because during this event, because they did it by a pool, and WCW would have some outside Nitros 
aired in Florida through the years, and they would, you know, utilize the pool here and there. In fact, didn't they do a hardcore match in a pool? I, I remember something with a match in a pool. It was just horrendous. I mean, they had cameras underwater. It was just the drizzling shits. But this episode of Nitro in particular, I remember Ric Flair having an incident with Rey Mysterio. Flair was outside the ring leaning against the guardrail or standing in front of the guardrail. Rey Mysterio like did like a baseball slide, kicked him. Ric Flair fell backwards and fell into the pool. And trust me, you know, it's not like the pool water was ice cold or anything like that. It was it was Florida. Yes, it was March, but it was still warm. And I'm sure anybody that went in the pool that night enjoyed it. <laughs> but this was what was going on on Nitro in 1999. So they also did a contest, beauty contest in the ring, and they were determining Miss Monday Nitro. Now, I don't remember the chick who won it. It was nobody famous from what I remember. In fact, I don't even think WCW did anything with her. I mean, I remember that night, and we were like, ah, you know, and especially the way she dressed, you were kind of like, you know, you're in Florida, all the other girls are bikinis, and... You know, this is how this person is dressed as Miss Nitro. But anyway, the first winner of Miss NWO was Tori Wilson. And, you know, just a little audio clip that happened at night, you know, because we always think about Playboy and Tori Wilson and Sable, you know, next to each other. Well, on Nitro that night, uh, they had Tori Wilson, Kevin Nash and Tori Wilson, do a little pose around the ring in her bikini. And as she was walking around the ring... Kevin Nash said this. And the winner is... Right here, this is your winner. Please take a walk for the fans. The millions of fans. <laughs> Sable, eat your heart out. <laughs> I think I did. Did you say that? I think I did. You're so right. I know it's no big deal, but I figured some of you out there might get a kick out of it. You know, because the Monday Night Wars, Sable eat your heart out, blah, 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 blah. Another audio clip to share from that night, WCW Monday Nitro, Bret Hart came out and was interviewed by Mean Gene Oakland. Now, I caught on to something that I know is probably just an error, but everybody talks about how Goldberg's streak was 173-0. and if you listen to Mean Gene on 90, he actually says it's 174 and oh. But anyway, Bret Hart comes out expressing his disgruntledness, him being in WCW for a year already. Just take note that when he does mention Goldberg, they did not face each other until I think the fall or maybe around Halloween time of 1999. So this was a very early promo, did not develop for quite some time. But once Bret Hart did face Goldberg a few times, he defeated him, and I think he beat Goldberg at least three times when they finally started facing each other. But first, let's go back, March 1999, Bret Hart expressing his disgruntledness about the way he's used in WCW. How about if we bring out this man? He has held numerous titles all over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spring Break 99, Bret the Hitman Hart. of execution, the best there was, the best there is, the best there ever will be. Say what you want to, I really think if you break it down, Mike, today, you've been following this career of this fine second-generation star. I think he's a credit to the wrestling profession. 
You may not always like his attitude, and maybe I can understand it at times. However, I can tell you this right now, Bret Hart is a man who knows how and can perform in the ring. You can answer that mic next segment. Gene, it's all yours. Bret Hart, if you can break away from embracing this crowd here tonight in Panama City, the word that I get is you're a little discontented with the way that World Championship Wrestling has been treating the hitman. Discontented, that's a nice word. You're not happy. You know, Gene, I came here to earn a reputation, not lose it. You know, I've come to the WCW. It's been over a year. You know how many world title shots I've had in one year? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Try this. Try zero. I don't get any respect here in the WCW, and I'm frankly a little sick and tired of it. You know, Ric Flair stuck his nose in my business a few months ago, cost me the United States Heavyweight Championship belt. He likes to fancy himself a tough guy. Ric Flair, you remember me a year ago coming into the WCW? You remember who wiped the floor with you? Me. The excellence of execution. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Still the same. You know, as long as you're dropping names out here tonight, Brett the Hitman Hart, I'm very curious. Many have said, insiders have said, that the dream match of all time would be you and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. What about Mr. Hogan? What about Hulk Hogan? Hollywood Hogan, people have dreamed about the Hitman versus Hulk Hogan for so long. Frankly, I've lost patience with it because I don't believe it's ever going to take place. But I do know one thing, Hulk Hogan, you know and I know that it comes down to you and me. We are the two biggest entities in the history of wrestling and for some odd reason, We've never had a match. All right, I'm going to throw out another name. I'm going to cut you short here because there's a number of names we can talk about. What about the guy we saw out here a little bit earlier on at seven foot tall, big sexy Kevin Nash? Some grudges never go away. Kevin Nash, same thing. You may be seven feet tall, but you remember all the different times that I fought you before. And I can beat you now just like I beat you all those other times. You may be the pencil but I'm sure I can be the eraser. Here's another name, uh, as long as he's fresh in my mind. What about Goldberg? Goldberg. Goldberg. Goldberg is a guy that's been hand-fed opponents for so long. He's ducked me and hid from me. But the one thing about Goldberg, he's never had to step in the ring with a real technical wrestler. All the muscles, all that brawn, that's not going to help him if he ever steps in the ring with me. And Goldberg, you may be back there in the dress room wetting your whistle after a tough match, but why don't you just step in the ring with me one time? Wait that's all it'll take. Wait one time. Here's a guy that ran his string out to 174 and 0. Goldberg, a man that has proven himself time and time again as one of the roughest, toughest men. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even five minutes ago in this ring that he proved it again. Goldberg has never fought any real tough competition. I could beat Goldberg in five minutes. You could what beat him in five minutes? You are underestimating Goldberg, please. I got a wrestling background of the likes that nobody, nobody has ever seen. And Goldberg, I want you to listen to me loud and clear. Five minutes, I can beat you, and you'll be sorry that you ever stepped in the ring with me. Well, Brad Hart, I hear that chat in the background. Five minutes, 
Jersey Kid. Ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned. Things are starting to heat up in Panama City. We're right back. While that was going on on Nitro, Monday Night Raw took place. First off, Triple H came out on Raw, dressed up like Goldust, had one of those T-shirt guns that China used to shoot, you know, into the crowd and stuff like that. But I think it was more like a, a ray gun. You, it's a cool visual. I mean, audio is not really good to play over here. You, you, you got to see the visual. But he shot Kane, quote, right in the face with it. And that happened on Raw. It's a moment that I think a lot of people don't remember. But I think all of you out there will remember this moment on Monday Night Raw. You had in the ring The Rock... Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon. And at the time, Shawn Michaels was still commissioner of WWE. And um, basically, Mick Foley wanted to fight The Rock one more time. So Shawn Michaels granted the match, even though The Rock did not want to waste his time on Mick Foley. And then Mick Foley comes out. They announced they're going to have the match. Mick Foley goes to the back. So Vince starts cutting a promo, and then all of a sudden this happened. I'm sure Shawn Michaels is having his little fun in San Antonio, Texas, the commissioner. That's all right. Rock, you won't mind one more time taking mankind apart, will you? Matter of fact, the Rock will lay the smackdown on his candy ass. Yes! Much similar to the Greenwich Street fight that we're going to see in Albany, New York. Check it out. Son of a bitch to the ground. Oh, 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 oh. 
look at me. Take your little glasses off so I can see your eyeballs, son. Pull them off because I want you to look right here. When that bell rings and the match is over, you are looking at the next WWF champion, and that's the bottom line from Stone Cold Sexton. Can't Stone Cold Steve Austin is focused. Yeah. As far as right now goes, the big celebration afterwards, Stone Cold's going to drink a hell of a lot of beer, but I think we ought to share a little pre-match beer right now. Pre-match beer? I'll tell you what, hey, Stone Cold Jabroni, you come out here and you make your idle threats like you're the great one, but obviously you're not. So The Rock says, you take that truck and drive it right back down. No, you're wrong. I always think about over the years is at that time, because that wasn't the only beer bash, you know, you had angle with the milk truck also. I don't recall any fans ever complaining about getting soaked or getting hit with beer or milk at that time. And you just can't help but to think in this day and age in the PC world that we live in, and yes, it has changed dramatically in such a short amount of time. You would have people on social media complaining that their child got hit with a little bit of milk or beer or, you know, my clothes are ruined and WWF better pay for it. I, I don't recall anybody ever complaining back then. And you just can't help but to think how it would be handled these days. So there you go. 2000, Corey Graves makes his pro wrestling debut. Couldn't find any match information on him. I mean, he had some different gimmicks back then, but it was this week in 2000, Corey Graves made his pro wrestling debut. You know, it's funny because Corey Graves, everybody knows him now as a commentator and, you know, for a brief stint in NXT. I don't think people realized how many years this man actually wrestled before he was forced to uh, give it up due to uh, injuries, you know, medical issues. That same week, 2000, ECW had their Living Dangerously pay-per-view in Avonsbury Park, New Jersey. A couple of matches from that night, Super Crazy over Tajiri. Taz over Sabu to unified ECW and FTW heavyweight title. Tommy Dreamer and Shane Douglas versus Just Incredible and Lance Storm, the Impact players. RVD defeated Jerry Lynn 
to retain the ECW world title. It's a cool event. I was there. One of the few events that I would go to in Jersey at the time. I went to a couple of Jersey All-Pro Wrestling events, and I actually got to manage a couple of uh, shows in, uh, what, mid-2000s? But early 2000s, it was usually Philly or New York. Year 2000 as well, SmackDown had a segment, two of them, involving Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and Linda McMahon. Now, Linda, she had incorporated Mick Foley into the main event match at WrestleMania. Triple H wasn't happy. Stephanie was, at the time, not good on the mic, but she was playing the prima donna, spoiled brat growing up. Linda, obviously, is piss poor on the mic, and you can't blame her. But the beginning of SmackDown, Triple H calls Linda McMahon a bitch. Crowd pops for it. At the end of SmackDown, Stephanie's in the ring with Linda. She calls her own mother a bitch and slaps her mother as well. So if you want to go check it out, it's obviously on the network and online. So 2001, obviously, we need to get to it. Up until this point, we thought Eric Bischoff and Fusiant was buying WCW. And a couple of days before March 26, 2001, a press release was issued, and it says, and I quote, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment, because you remember, this was the WWFE. Now, they were WWF on the stock exchange, but they were trying to do World Wrestling Federation Entertainment, and then we would ultimately have the Get the F Out promotion, and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment today announced its purchase of World Championship Wrestling from Turner Broadcasting System Incorporated, a division of AOL Time Warner. The purchase of WCW creates a tag team partnership with the World Wrestling Federation brand that is expected to propel the sports entertainment genre to new heights. In keeping with the company's strategic alliance with Viacom, new WCW programming is anticipated to air on TNN in the near future. The possibility of cross-brand storylines and intrigue, however, may start as early as Monday night during WWF Roar's War on TNN and the final performance of WCW Monday Nitro Live on TNT. The binding agreement provides World Wrestling Federation Entertainment with the global rights to the WCW brand, tape library, and other intellectual property rights. Quote, this acquisition is the perfect creative and business catalyst for our company, said Linda McMahon, chief executive officer of World Wrestling Federation Entertainment. This is a dream combination for fans of sports entertainment, the incendiary mix of World Wrestling Federation and WCW personalities, potentially creates intriguing storylines that will attract a larger fan base to the benefit of our advertisers and business partners and propel sports entertainment to new heights. The acquisition of the WCW brand is a strategic move for us, says Stuart Snyder, president and COO for World Wrestling Federation Entertainment. Quote, we are assuming a brand with global distribution and recognition. We are adding thousands of hours to our tape library that could be repurposed for home videos, TV, internet streaming, and broadband applications. The WCW opens new opportunities for growth in our pay-per-view, live events, and consumer products divisions, as well as the opportunity to develop new television programming using new stars. We also will create additional advertising and sponsorship opportunities. In short, it's a perfect fit. 
Brad Siegel, who made quite a few enemies at the time uh, at CNN Center, issued the following announcement after the deal went down. Quote, Today, World Wrestling Federation Entertainment Incorporated is announcing that we have reached an agreement for the sale of WCW. This agreement with WWF holds tremendous potential for the WCW brand and assets. As we told you last week, WCW programming will not appear on TNT and TBS after March 27th. We will share more information with you about the WWF's immediate plans for WCW in the all-staff meeting scheduled for Wednesday, March 28th at 10 a.m. at the power plant. Thank you. Then we had the Raw versus Nitro uh, last Monday Night War episode ever. And, you know, on WCW was a night of champions. I remember at the time I had TiVo. And I TiVoed the WCW episode because I wanted to keep it as a moment in history. I mean, obviously, now with DVDs and digital, it's, you know, you know TiVo's not needed anymore like, like we used to. But in 2001, it was different. I TiVoed the episode in its entirety. And I remember when my hard drive crashed on the TiVo at that time, you know, I was really pissed off because I thought I was actually going to lose all of the footage. But I was able to pull a hard drive out, hook it up to a computer and pull that and a lot of other like ESPN classic stuff I had capped and some few other things. But obviously we had the simulcast Raw and Nitro taking place on Nitro. They had the Night of Champions, Booker T over Scott Steiner to unify the WCW and heavyweight and U.S. championships. Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman over three count. Um, to become the number one contenders for the Cruiserweight Tag Titles. Obviously, that didn't amount to anything. Shane Helms over Chavo to retain the Cruiserweight Title. Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo over Lance Storm and Mike Awesome to retain the Tag Titles. Sean Stasiak over Bam Bam Bigelow. And the stipulation was if Bam Bam Bigelow won, he would have been uh, he would have had the opportunity to tattoo Sean Stasiak. All right, whatever. So anyway. Later on, we had Rey Mysterio and Kidman, who are now number one contenders, defeat Ilk Skipper and Kid Romeo to win the WCW Cruiserweight Tag Champs. They would be the last Cruiserweight Tag Champs because WWF never bothered to pursue the Cruiserweight Tag titles after this. And finally, in the main event, Sting over Ric Flair by submission. Ric Flair cut a passionate promo at the beginning of... Uh, Nitro and he challenged Sting in the main event. So we knew that that main event was going down. I think a lot of people always remember Ric Flair wearing a T-shirt through the whole match because he was a little embarrassed of his physique at the time. And um, there's a lot of interviews over the years of how it felt behind the scenes to see Shane McMahon show up and this and that. Last week's episode, I talked about that little prediction that I had done on the wrestling hotlines back then. It was an interesting night. And throughout this, you know, you had the WCW announcers. And at one point, I kind of chuckled because you could just see Tony Schiavone just sitting there. And, you know, he has this look on his face like, wow, look, my job might be fucked. And I, I'm, I'm happy that over the years, fans really have uh, appreciated and have learned and just understood and liked Tony Schiavone even more because at that time you know he got a lot of heat for giving away the matches even though Bischoff told him to do that and it was kind of bittersweet you know that we were laughing at him that ah you lost your job and everything but deep down inside you knew he was a good announcer you knew he was just doing his job and I'm glad over the years that he is celebrated and acknowledged and appreciated by many 
And uh, that happened in 01. Now, just to give a little tidbit, you know, Vince had done a couple of segments during that night, you know, trying to tease that, you know, the Lex Express is done and talking about Jared. And we know those promos, but I'm going to just play a little snippet from that night. This was the moment where Vince McMahon uh, bragged on Raw that he bought WCW and what should he do with it. And he asked the fans to react if he should keep this person or bring this person in. And then Shane comes out and, you know, announces that he bought WCW. And I think one thing that people seem to forget at that night, when this happened on television, it wasn't the end of the Raw episode. That's something I think a lot of people don't realize. You think that, oh my God, Raw went off the air and Vince doesn't know. That was the second hour. So anyway, enough of me talking. Here you go. 2001, Vince McMahon, Monday Night Raw. What does he do with WCW? What should I do with WCW? Well, there are a lot of things I could do with it. I might like to have some input from some of you here in a moment. I mean, I could take WCW and just kind of like put it on the shelf. I could do that. I mean, I could sit back and watch those videotapes of Hogan doing that ridiculous, whatever you call that. I could watch that over and over. Them talking about how they're going to bury the WWE. Oh, I'd get a great deal of pleasure just sitting there watching night after night. Sitting there watching the videotapes backwards and forwards. Because you see, there's an old expression. They used to laugh at WWF. There's an old expression about he who laughs last laughs best. And you can see I'm not exactly laughing, but I've got a real big smile on my face. Then again, If we don't take WCW and put it on the shelf, we could do something else with it. We could take WCW and perhaps turn it into this huge media conglomerate, much like World Wrestling Federation Entertainment is today. We know how to do that. But if we do that, I'm wondering, uh, well, who should be a part of this WCW? Maybe you can help me out here. Um, When I give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down, I want you to react. Maybe you can help me out a little bit, assuming we'd want to acquire some of those stars. Let's start with Hulk Hogan up. Hogan down. All right, let's go to uh, Lex Luger up. Lex Luger down. How about uh, Buff Bagwell up? Bagwell down. How about, uh, let's see, Booker T up? Booker T down. You guys are a mixed group out here. How about uh, Big Papa Pump up? 
Pop a bum down. Ooh, wow. Well, I, I don't know that you've necessarily helped me, except that, let me just say this. Sting? You want Sting? All right, uh, Goldberg? Well, this is very interesting. You see, I had a choice to make tonight. That choice was coming here before you in Cleveland and, and quite frankly, gloating which I think I'm doing a very good job of at the moment. Or, or I could do this. Instead of gloating, what I could have done was get in my plane, and assuming they have an airport there, fly down to the Redneck Riviera, Panama City Beach, Florida, and walk out there and give every WCW star a piece of my mind. Because that's what I really want to do. But how appropriate is it that WCW's last broadcast is in a beer hall? How appropriate is that? Surrounded by a bunch of beer-drinking rednecks. There are obviously a few here tonight. But nonetheless, I've opted to come before you here as opposed to walking in the ring and lining each and every one of those stars up, every single one of them, so I can look right in their face and say, Goldberg, Booker T, and all the rest of them, to look them right in the face and say, you are fired. And that's exactly what's going to happen because WCW is going on the shelf. It's going nowhere. WCW is buried. WCW will remain buried. Just like anybody here in this arena or anyone in the world that gets in my way. Every single one of you when you attempt to compete with me, and that includes my son, Shane, and I'm not too proud to say it, every single one of you will be buried. Just like WCW is buried. Don't start with that. deserve more respect than that. Damn it, I'm Vince McMahon. Damn it. I own WCW. I own the WWF. And you will treat me with respect. Or I'll walk out of this arena. Mr. McMahon's running for a fight with his own son.
What's up, Vince? Surprise, Dad. You're in Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm here in Panama City Beach, Florida. Standing in a WCW ring. And as usual, Dad, your ego has gotten the best of you. Your ego has gotten the best of you. I mean, Dad, you wanted to finalize this deal at WCW at WrestleMania. You wanted, you have the audacity to ask Ted Turner himself to come down and finalize that deal. Well, Dad, that's just the opportunity that I was looking for. Because, Dad, the deal is finalized with WCW. And the name on the contract does say McMahon. However, the contract reads Shane McMahon. And then, just like WCW did in the past, I went kicked your ass in the past, and it will again. That's exactly what's going to happen to you this Sunday at WrestleMania. Just a little tidbit for anybody that is curious. You know, the main event that night on Raw was Steve Austin and The Rock defeating Kane and The Undertaker. So they had a pretty big hour three and kind of obvious because now you had all the fans of WCW Nitro tuning into Raw for hour three because now you know that you're off the air and what's going to happen the last hour. And they had Jericho versus Big Show, Mick Foley return, X-Pac versus Eddie, you had the Hardys. There was there was a lot of stuff that went on that night. So very, very eerie moment in, in wrestling. And I say this not because, oh, I want everybody to wish me happy birthday, but my birthday was that night. And every year that goes by since, you know, as a wrestling fan, I always think, wow, that night I'm celebrating my birthday and I'm watching the simulcast. So not only am I seeing history and a little bit disappointing that we were losing, you know, 
one half of the Monday Night Wars. But it was also at that time, imagine yours truly making that prediction on Captain Ivan's hotline and then watching it that night. Then it's my birthday. It was just like a pretty epic 72 hours on yours truly's end. So, And I just say that lightheartedly. You know, I don't have a big head over it. I just sometimes rub it in for the haters, but... I just, it's just amazing how many years have gone by since then. So there you go. 2002, about a year after WCW closed its doors, as well as ECW, the roster is obviously fully loaded in WWE. So they decided to come up with what they called the brand extension draft. It was, it was basically a roster split. You had Vince McMahon representing SmackDown, Ric Flair representing Raw, and they would take turns as far as making picks of who would go to where. And for people that just are curious, here's how the extension draft results went. For Raw, you had The Undertaker, NWO, Kane, Rob Van Dam, Booker T, Big Show, Bubba Ray Dudley, Brock Lesnar, William Regal, Lita, Bradshaw, Stephen Richards, Matt Hardy, Raven, Jeff Hardy, Mr. Perfect, Spike Dudley, D'Lo Brown, Sean Stasiak, Terry, Jacqueline, Goldust, Trish Stratus, Just Incredible, Big Boss Man, Tommy Dreamer, Crash Holly, and Molly Holly. Going over to SmackDown, The Rock, uh, let's see, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Hulk Hogan, Billy and Chuck, Edge, Rikishi, Devon Dudley, Mark Henry, Maven, Billy Kidman, Tajiri, Chris Jericho, Ivory, Albert, The Hurricane, Al Snow, Lance Storm, Diamond Dallas Page, Tori Wilson, Scotty Tuhati, Stacey Keebler, Christian, Test, Farouk, Taz, Hardcore Holly, Val Venus, and Perry Saturn. That same night on Raw, they had a match where Triple H defeated Chris Jericho and Stephanie McMahon in a triple threat match. And as a result of this match, Stephanie was banned from WWE. Would not last that long, though. Four months later, she was announced as the general manager of SmackDown. Now, 2003 was announced all over the newswires. It was a pretty big deal at that time. It was announced Bill Goldberg signed with WWE. His debut would be officially announced at WrestleMania 19, and he would debut for the company the following Monday. Pretty big deal. 2004, Ring of Honor's Night of Champions. Samoa Joe defeated Xavier to win the Ring of Honor heavyweight title. He would hold the championship for 645 days. Pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, From what I understand, that record still stands this day. 645 days, pretty damn good. 2004 as well, WWE presented its first ever draft lottery on Raw. You had Raw, general manager Eric Bischoff, Paul Heyman, general manager for SmackDown. Each one of them had a tumbler with little balls inside, and they would pick six names from their bins. Not all at the same time. It would go on throughout the night, and any name picked would be moved to respective brands. Now, a couple of tidbits before I play some audio clips. You had drafted two Raw, Shelton Benjamin, Nidia, Rhino, Tajiri, Edge, and one other person I'll mention in a moment. Uh, Edge's return was a big deal because he had been out for a year because of the neck injury. And when he came back, 
he actually speared Eric Bischoff and crowd popped big time for this. Now, during the draft lottery, uh, this person came out and cut a promo. Ladies and gentlemen, it is once again time for Paul Heyman Smackdown to take a piece of raw history away from Eric Bischoff. <laughs> Ooh. Whoa! Oh my! The doctor! What's the doctor? How's he the doing? The United States champion with. What's John Cena doing here? Doctor Thugonomis up in this piece. Paul Heyman was about to make another pick. John Cena's in the house. Yo, 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 yo. The franchise is crashing this party. Paul, don't get hot at me. He's wearing a neck brace because he's blowing the whole lottery. I heard that about you. He ain't the one-way type. Belita hype. John Cena more raw than Monday night. I'm the lottery pick they both want to get their hands on. This ain't no junior high dance, so fellas, keep your pants on. <laughs> oh, and if you draft me, save your t-shirts. I ain't kissing your butts. We in the D, baby! So you can choke on these nuts. I'm injured. I'm injured. I'm injured, man. Do it. Do it. Give it to him. You the general manager, but I'm making the next pick. Hey, you can't listen to me. I'm, you're not supposed to do that. This is my. I'm giving you one ball, but you still got no... Now, what you didn't hear from there was after John Cena went to the back, Paul Heyman had the ball that John Cena had picked. And he says, oh, this is not a real pick. And Eric Bischoff's like, no, he picked it. You have to keep it. You have to keep it. You have to keep it. So Paul Heyman opens up the ball, and it ends up being Triple H. So Triple H is drafted to SmackDown. So obviously, uh, Triple H is shown in the back, pissed off as a motherfucker. You know, he's teamed up with, you know, Batista and Ric Flair, and he's not going and blah, 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 blah. And obviously, if you remember the storyline, Triple H never spent a day on SmackDown because ultimately he would be tra traded back to Monday Night Raw for a few picks. I got some audio to share with you a little bit later regarding who was drafted and for what. But before I play some more audio clips, just a couple of tidbits. When Shelton Benjamin was drafted to Raw, that split up the world's greatest tag team. So that was a big deal. 
Obviously, the situation with Triple H, you know, that was going to be, you know, controversial in storyline. Spike Dudley being drafted over to SmackDown, that caused him to be no longer affiliated with the Dudleys. Also drafted to SmackDown was Teddy Long, Rob Van Dam, Triple H, as I mentioned, Mark Jindrak, and Renee Dupree. Now, the very end of this draft lottery, Eric Bischoff pulled out a ball, and it ended up being Paul Heyman. So Paul Heyman was drafted to Raw. Eric Bischoff is teasing that uh, he knows what he's what you know Paul Heyman could do, like some behind the scenes stuff, and he's belittling Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman says, "There's no way I'm working for you. I quit," and he walks out. So now we have no general manager for SmackDown. So now we get to SmackDown, and it opens up with Kurt Angle dressed in a suit, and he makes couple of announcements now this audio clip is about eight minutes long and then reason why i kept it the entire clip is for a few reasons number one obviously we currently have the storyline this year with kurt angle as general manager of monday night raw so when you think about that and you think about how people have questioned, you know, Kurt Angle seems a little shaky on the mic. You know, maybe it's because he's limited of what he could say because we're in, you know, a PC era and a PG era and he's got to be very, be very careful of, you know, some of the words he uses, this and that. Kurt Angle gets some criticism these days. I think undeserving, but still he gets a lot of criticism for his mic work as general manager. So I want to present to you an audio promo that he cut on SmackDown in 2004. And as you listen to it, you compare it to his work of today. And if you notice in 2004, there's no profanity used. There's no vulgarity used. Every word he could have said back then could have been done today. But here you go. And there's also some added audio in there from Booker T because this all incorporates in the storyline of Triple H being drafted to SmackDown. Enjoy, everyone. Who will be the new general manager of SmackDown? Paul Heyman's unexpected departure has left a significant void. And it is my pleasure to announce that a new general manager has been named and is here tonight. This person is someone with class. This person is someone that you're all familiar with. This person has a last name that is synonymous with wrestling. Gotta be Stephanie Man. Gotta be. And is not in it for the money or fame, but is willing to give up their personal goals for the sake of the greater good. And I am proud to say that the new general manager of SmackDown is me, Kurt Angle. What? Whoa, Kurt Angle? Wow. Kurt Angle's the new general manager? Blockbuster news. I'm shocked. I can't believe this. I thought for sure it was going to be Stephanie McMahon. That's what I thought. It's true. 
I have made the ultimate sacrifice. I have put my wrestling career on hold. I have set aside my personal goals of becoming WWE champion again. Did I do it for me? Obviously not. I've done it for all of you, the SmackDown fans. Because I believe that I can make a difference. And I will fight for what I believe in. And unlike my predecessor, I will not back down to anyone. I will not be physically intimidated by anyone. That's why when Triple H came to me earlier tonight, came right up to me, face to face, and demanded a rematch with Eddie Guerrero right here tonight on SmackDown for the WWE Championship. I looked into his eyes and I said, no. Triple H will not be facing Eddie Guerrero for the title tonight. As a matter of fact, Triple H will not be on SmackDown, period. What is Kurt Angle talking about? You hear what he just said? Oh, I heard it. Because in my first act as the new general manager, I traded Triple H back over to Raw. What? It, oh, traded no. him? Traded him to oh, Raw? Bad move, Kurt. No, bad move. Kurt Angle traded Triple H back to Raw. Well then, man, who did he train him for? Maybe this isn't bad. See, I'm not in it. Listen, listen up, folks. I'm not in it to win any popularity contest. I'm in it for one reason and one reason only. To take SmackDown to newer and greater heights. And I believe that the trade I made, the superstars that I acquired for Triple H from Raw, will do just that. See, the first two superstars that I got, that I acquired for the trade with Triple H, happened to be a part of the most successful tag team in the history of this business. Ladies and gentlemen, the Dudley Boys. The Dudleys? Wow! Coming to SmackDown! That's all good! Oh, the Dudleys are 17 time tag team champions, not a bad trade, Colts. That's cool, man. Right here, Dudley Boys will be wrestling later on tonight. I'm sure it'll be very brutal. But the Dudley Boys are the only superstar I acquired for the trade with Triple H. As a matter of fact, the next superstar, I believe, will be the most dominant superstar in SmackDown for years to come. He's a man that would like to come out here and say a few words. He is a five-time WCW champion. No. Ladies and gentlemen, Booker T. Can you dig it, baby? The new general manager wheeling and dealing. It's the Bookman. Three for one. Triple H traded back to Raw, but look who we got in return. The Dudleys and Booker T. Uh, uh, that's a great trade, man. I'll take the Bookman.
Eddie Day along with the Celtics. It's all good. Booker T in the prime of his career. He's been a main event star. Prove it. I predict that Kurt Angle's going to be a great general manager. Wow. Not off to a bad start in my book. I got to agree with you, partner. I'm not kidding. Bookman up in the house. Thought I'd see Booker T on SmackDown. Well, he looks good in that ring, though. And we're going to see the Dudley Boys in action later on tonight. Well, this is shaping up to yeah, be well, some night. Yeah, we're going to get to see the Spinner Rooney, maybe. Do the Spinner Rooney, Book. Yo, look, man. I'm going to just get right down to it. I wish I could come out here and tell you I was excited and happy and overjoyed to be here. We're happy to have you. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not. What? Oh. See, the last 72 hours, my life have been turned upside down. I didn't have nothing to do with it. I didn't have one say in it. And I don't like it. But what I did like was wrestling on Raw. See, no disrespect to none of these fans in here, but the Raw fans, they appreciated Booker T. They respected everything I did. And no disrespect to you, Kurt, but compared to Raw, SmackDown is the minor leagues. Oh, come on. You know, I walk around the back, I see all the superstars back there, a bunch of great talent, a bunch of good hands, guys with great futures, great bodies. But guess what? I'm better than each and every one of them. I'm better than your champion, Eddie Guerrero. I'm hotter than John Cena. And I'm bigger than the big show. Whoa. Hell, I'm better than The Undertaker. Whoa. Whoa. Look, man, what I'm really trying to say is, what I'm really trying to say is, I don't want to be here. Well, well hold, hold on, Booker. Hold on, Book. Listen, I know you're upset, okay? But come on, Book. Wake up and smell the coffee. The minor leagues? No, not SmackDown. We're the major leagues, buddy. But I'll agree with you on one thing. You are a bigger superstar than all the guys on SmackDown. I will agree with you on that. That's why I traded for you in the first place. And I will agree with you on something else. The Raw fans, they did and they do appreciate you. You see, if there's one weakness that the SmackDown, the SmackDown show has, it's that the, the SmackDown fans don't appreciate great talent, okay? Trust me, I know. They don't appreciate great athletes. You're looking at one right here and I know. But Booker, I'm telling you right now, you stick to your guns. You're gonna like it here, and we're gonna change all that.
As a matter of fact, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to give a warm welcome to the hottest, most dominant superstar in SmackDown today, Mr. Booker T. That same night on SmackDown, we had a debut. It's not really a debut. It's a repackaging of someone. And that was Bradshaw. Now, at this time, Bradshaw was APA. If you remember, he came out with a book, Have More Money Now. He was featured on Fox News quite a bit in the financial side. And you really got to see how intelligent John Bradshaw Layfield was. But at that time, we only knew him really as Bradshaw. And, you know, on Fox News, you knew him as John Layfield. But they never really focused on his last name. But it all came together this week on SmackDown in 2004. He came out to new entrance music, came out to a different name, which is really his name. And uh, here is the audio. Michael Cole and Taz's reactions along with JBL's promo. This is the introduction to us wrestling fans of the gimmick, John Bradshaw Layfield. Enjoy. You know, then the audacity of Bradshaw to ask Farouk if they can still be friends. What's this? It's obviously Bradshaw. Wow, looking a little different. Well, you know what? what the, well, I still can't believe Bradshaw turned his back on his longtime friend. Farouk was like a brother. They were closer than brothers, Taz. Ladies and gentlemen, John Bradshaw Layfield. John Bradshaw Layfield? Well, I'll tell you, I, I, I like the 10-gallon. I do like that. Well, it's, a, it's a unique look. Bradshaw, very uh, successful financial analyst. Those that don't know it, I like the new Bradshaw. If you'll listen, I'll explain to you what happened last week. Because I really feel that I was horribly, horribly misunderstood. Oh, come on. If you'll just listen to me, you'll understand and you'll appreciate the fact that what I did was the right thing. You see, Ron Simmons, you don't understand. He's my best friend. He always has been. We drink more beer and we've been up more roads than most of you people can ever imagine. So when Paul Heyman quit... Monday night on Raw, I knew this was my chance. I knew this was my chance to get Ron's job back. I knew this was my chance to make sure that the APA stayed in business. But I'm not going to do that. Listen, I'm explaining, please. I've got a lot more than just wrestling going on. I appreciate everything that Ron Simmons has done for me. I appreciate years and years of friendship. But I've got a portfolio that has beat the stock market seven out of the last seven years. That is phenomenal. I've got a financial book by Simon and Schuster out, and I'm writing another book right now on keeping America strong. 
I've got a radio show that starts May 1st. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about finances. You people are going to love this radio show. I have become the top financial analyst on network TV. Fox News loves to have me on. I could not, I simply could not walk away from all that I've got. You people, get off your high horse. You people would have done the exact same thing that I did, giving the opportunity. If you'd have been in my shoes, which you're not, you people would have done the same thing. You see, it's time that you people quit listening to your little Sunday school fairy tales. It's time you start listening to a guy like Prince Machiavella who will tell you that there is no wrong and there is no right in society, that people do things because they want something back. There is simple cause and effect. You see, I understand that. That is why people like me are people that run businesses. People like me are people that run industries. People like me are people that run governments. I, the only thing I sold was stock about two weeks ago before terrorism scared the market and I made a hell of a lot of money. So you can stop the you sold out chance right now. I have always been smarter. I have always been better. And I have always worked harder than anybody else around me. That is why I have always been considered an impact player. My picture hangs in my old high school. My picture hangs in my old college. Look it up, it's a matter of history. I don't have to pad my resume. Normal people are astounded by my resume because normal people never let their dreams get beyond their front door because they are scared of failure. I have never been scared of failure and I have never failed. I have succeeded in everything but one thing and that is wrestling because I thought it was more important to have a good time, to drink beer, to play cards, to visit our troops. Well, I want to tell you something, that's good and fine, but that ain't got me jack. So something's fixing to happen around here. You're fixing to see an impact. And if you know anything about history, you know this. What I say I do, and what I do, I do very, very well. So get ready for the impact that's coming. Buckle your seats, boys and girls. Business is about to pick up. A lot of audio clips back to back to back to back to back. Hey, if it's needed and it's warranted and you like it, I'm going to play it. 2005, a year later, as I opened up with today's episode, Kurt Angle, in the midst of his feud with Shawn Michaels, comes out, introduces Sensational Sherry, hits the ring, and then Sexy Kurt was born. People from the start, I said that I would outdo Shawn Michaels. 
and I proved that I was a better athlete, and tonight, I'm gonna prove that I'm a better entertainer as well. Now with me is a woman who turned Shawn Michaels from a nobody to a somebody. Shawn Michaels' first manager, the beautiful, sensational Sherry. Now Sherry, we all know that you helped out Sean quite a bit earlier in his career, but obviously I didn't need anyone's help when I won the Olympic gold medal, but that's beside the point. The point is, your influence on Sean still lives today. Every time HBK's music is played, everyone around the world knows that it's your voice, Sherry, that's screaming Shawn Michaels' name. Now me personally, I think that song sucks. No offense. I mean, Shawn Michaels thinks he's so great because he sang his own song. Well, Shawn, as I've been telling you, anything you can do, we can do better. Hit the music. What does he mean by that? Six Monday Night Raw, Mickey James in the midst of the storyline obsessed with Trish Stratus. Last week's This Week in Wrestling History, I talked about Saturday night's main event where they teamed up and she went to kiss Trish Stratus after they won a match and Trish Stratus refused. Mickey James got pissed off and attacked her. Turned heel, turned on Trish Stratus. Well, it was one week later, this week on Monday Night Raw, Mickey James in the middle of the ring. She has a big box. And it's a surprise for Trish Stratus. And the box, you know, is very large. It's moving a little bit, so you know that somebody's inside it. She cuts a promo, lifts the box up, and uh, there's somebody under this big black sheet. They lift the sheet up. It's Ashley Mazzaro. At the time, they were calling Trish Stratus's best friend, a very close friend. She's gagged. She can't move. Her arms are tied behind her back. And Mickey James is taunting Trish Stratus to come out. Trish Stratus comes out. And ultimately, they have a little bit of a brouhaha outside the ring. And the, the, the amazing visual. And Mish and I talked about this on this week's edition of Breakfast Soup. Trish Stratus hit Mickey James with an errant punch. And you know, I, I guess she broke Mickey James's nose because Mickey James was gushing blood from her nose. Now, ultimately, they would get back in the ring. Mickey James would knock out 
Trish Stratus with a really beautiful move. And then Mickey James picks up Trish Stratus's head as is on the synopsis this week. And she kisses an unconscious Trish Stratus. And then when you watch the video, you see blood dripping from Mickey James's face onto Trish Stratus's face. And Mickey James, you know, just saying, do you love me now? Do you love me now? And I thought that this was some of Mickey James's finest work. And, man, the outfit that she wore that time, people still talk about it to this day because Mickey James is, is a very attractive woman. You know what they say? There's even hell knows no fury like the wrath of a woman scorned by another woman. Yeah, oh, Mickey is, James is used Trish's own stratisfaction on her. What is this? I just wanted to say I understand if you don't want to be my friend anymore, Trish. I mean, even though, I mean, I have given my entire life for you. I mean, just, it's such a shame, really. I mean, Trish, we really could have been beautiful together, you know? Oh. But it's okay. You know, they say every cloud has a silver lining. And mine is that at WrestleMania, I get to face you. Not only that, not only that, but at WrestleMania, Tristratus, I'm gonna become the new women's champion. And, and I'm gonna give millions of girls an inspiration, someone to look up to, like you were for me. But the difference between you and me, Tristratus, is that I'm not just gonna push them aside. No, I'm, I'm going to love them, and I'm going to do anything and everything I can to make them happy. But, but, just to show that there are no hard feelings, I got you a little present. I, I, Trish, I went through a lot, I mean, a lot of trouble to get this for you, if you know what I'm saying. So, I hope you like it. So, Trish Stratus, come on out and open your gift. King, what's in it? No? Trish, you don't want to come out? I mean, how about I give you a little sneak peek of what's inside? How's that? Uh-oh. Come on, open the box. I see Mickey's box here. What, what is that? What's this? What, what the? What the hell is that? What do we got here? Something moving. <laughs> oh. Well, here comes the women's champion, Trish Stratus. Oh, well, Trish, you know, they say curiosity killed the captain. Oh, Just wait, 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 wait. Stay right there. I'll pass your face in, Trish. I swear to God, I will. Get down. Get down. Wow. Got Ashley tied up. What's the matter? Oh, God, you look so angry. What are you so mad for? What are you so mad for? Ashley's got a broken leg. Get down. Oh, Trish. We know Ashley, don't we? Your best friend, Ashley? You know, Ashley called me a psycho. Do you think I'm psycho now, Ashley, huh? I think one could make that argument. You know what, better yet, Trisha, I think I'll just keep Ashley, little old Ashley for myself. What? You don't want to help her? She's your friend, right? You don't want to help her? What? Look out, look out! Oh, finally, Trisha's got a hold of Mickey James. There you go. And Trish doesn't want to wait till WrestleMania. She wants 
gets a piece of this psychopath Mickey James right now. Well, Mickey James has wanted to get her hands on Trish for a long time, but not that way. Well, Trish better pay attention. You knew Mickey wasn't going to be down for very long, and I got to agree with you two. I think she is a psycho. This is as far as she's that is putting it mildly. Mickey has never gone this far. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, my God. God. Mickey's bleeding from the nose. Trish can't move. Ashley's tied up. Guys, this is scary. This is scary. Slamming again. Every second of this. You let me now, Trish Stratus. Ah! Oh my God! Oh my God! She may be the most dangerous diva we've ever seen. She's yeah, she's is, demented. This is uh, disturbing. Who could ever forget 2008? Shawn Michaels versus Ric Flair. And leading up to WrestleMania, Ric Flair would have all of these career-threatening matches, and he won them all, and we pretty much knew what the storyline was. We covered it on the shows. And you just knew that that streak was coming to an end at WrestleMania, that Shawn Michaels was defeating Ric Flair. It was a very emotional time at that time because you knew Ric Flair's career was coming to an end. Obviously, we didn't expect what went down in TNA and Australia with Ric Flair, but still, back then in 2008, it was a pretty big deal. And the week before WrestleMania on Monday Night Raw, Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels uh, exchanged words in the middle of the ring. And that audio clip is coming up next. Now, just to set it up a little bit, last week I uh, mentioned that Ric Flair had defeated Vince McMahon on Monday Night Raw the, the week before. Now, Ric Flair told Shawn Michaels, don't get involved in that match. But Shawn Michaels would ultimately come out during that match. So Ric Flair had come out on Raw this week in history and cut a promo, basically opening up to say, you know, Shawn Michaels, I told you not to come out. I didn't need you. This is an ad, blah, 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 blah. And he asked Shawn Michaels to come out. And the rest is history. First of all, Rick, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost respect for me. More importantly, though, I'm sorry to hear that you think that I've lost faith in you. You need to understand something. That could never happen. I didn't come out last week to do anything. Ric Flair is the dirtiest player in the game. The Ric Flair that I know always had his bases covered. He always had backup. That's all I was doing, was giving you backup. I was doing what I thought you would do. You need to understand something. You're always gonna be the Nates to me. You're always gonna be the 16-time world champion. And as much as it may bother you, you're always going to be the limousine riding, wheeling, dealing, jet flying. Shut up! 
You hate hearing this. They hate hearing it. But it's because of guys like you that I don't need anybody anymore to tell me who I am. I'm feeling pretty good about myself, and I want to show you something. World Heavyweight Championship. I won it in 1981. This is what you grew up admiring, wanting to know what made a machine like me go. This is a guy that wrestled Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, the Funks, the Briscoes, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Bruiser Brody, the list goes on. And if you were 20 years older, you would have been in the ring with me back then. I don't care what year it is. I don't give a damn where it is. It's 2008. I picked you. Contrary to what anybody thinks, I picked you to wrestle me at WrestleMania because I want to prove on the grandest stage of all that I can still be the nation Ric Flair. I'm talking about WrestleMania, Mr. Showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. I want you to bring the best out in me. I need that. I need that to make it the rest of the way in my life. I need one more night. I need to be the nature. Is that asking too much? Let me assure you of one thing. I'm gonna give you everything you need. I'm gonna give you Shawn Michaels. I'm gonna give you the headliner. I'm gonna give you the main event. I'm gonna give you the icon and rest assured, I've got no choice. I'm gonna give you the showstopper. Come Sunday, Mitch, you're going to step into the ring with Mr. WrestleMania. I would expect nothing less from you, my friend, the showstopper, Mr. WrestleMania. That's what I want. Thank you. You know, uh, before I go, just so there's no doubt in your mind that you're going to get everything you need and more, I want to remind you of a little story. Remember the story of old Yeller? 
They love that dog. But when it was time, they had to take that dog out back and finish him. Come Sunday, the showstopper's gonna take you, old yeller, behind the woodshed and put you out of your misery. Misery. 2009, Conan files a lawsuit against TNA, citing racial discrimination, wrongful termination, and how he was treated while dealing with health issues. And as I mentioned recently on one of the DTKC shows, you know, the hip replacement issues that Conan is having even to this day, that's what led to the discovery that he needed a kidney transplant. And, you know, we all know the history. I mean, me and Georgie Macropolis, God rest his soul, we were the ones that ran the drive for Conan to get his kidney transplant. We raised over $16,000. One of our longtime listeners to our shows, uh, Chad Broadwater, friend, donated his kidney to Conan. And at the time, it really pissed me off that Rob Feinstein in our video tried to take credit for the kidney donation. I'm like, you know, put me aside for a minute, but you got a human being out there, Chad Broadwater, who donated his kidney to Conan and did it from listening to our show and being, it's like, you know, that's disrespectful to him. And yeah, over the years, look, Feinstein in our video apologized. That's all water under the bridge. And obviously there's a very special woman out there, Crystal, who was inspired because of, the kidney transplant and everything done for Conan, she donated her kidney to uh, to a, a little girl, I believe, that really needed it badly. So uh, a lot of good happened but out of, out of all of this, but originally started with the lawsuit between Conan and TNA. They would ultimately settle the suit, and uh, they would lend Conan some money, and uh, you know, they, they pretty much settled. I mean, the case went on until May of 2009, but still, I'm glad that everything ended up clearing out. And you could see Conan on Impact Wrestling, and you could also see him in Lucha Underground and other areas as well. So God bless him. I'm glad he's doing well. That same year, WWE suspends Manu. Remember him? Afanoi Jr., 30 days, violation of the wellness policy. Now, you look back on it, legacy didn't work out well for him. I listened to a couple of clips of our Don Tony and Kevin Castle show from 2008. And everybody, people that called in, us, listeners, feedback, nobody really could care for Manu at all. And the thing is, at that time, we only saw like indie work of his, and he was on Sunday Night Heat against Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, you look back on it, you kind of say to yourself, well, you know what? He was in Legacy. 
and there was a lot of pressure. So maybe he succumbed to the pressure and he tried to enhance himself as quickly as possible and got caught for it and blah, 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 blah. No, you got to remember something. He didn't join Legacy until late 2008. At this time when he was suspended for wellness, he was not even really on TV at all. So this guy right off the bat just really started off on the wrong foot and then he would join Legacy and it didn't work at all. And he would ultimately be released in February 2009. And speaking of 2009, David Otunga makes his pro wrestling debut for Florida Championship Wrestling in Florida. He wrestled under the name Dawson Alexander Esquire. Now, obviously, the Esquire has to do with, you know, lawyer, blah, blah, blah. We know David Otunga's real-life profession. So it was in 09. He made his pro wrestling debut. He wrestled as Dawson Alexander, Esquire, teaming up with John Cutler and Maverick Darso, defeating Abraham Washington, Derek Bateman, and Tonga. Same year, Volano number 5 at CMLL in La Arena, Mexico, loses his mask in an event against Ultimo Guerrero. Same year, Ring of Honor presented their 7th anniversary show from New York City at the Hammerstein. And some of the matches on the card that night, I think you'd probably get a kick out of, and I'm sure a lot of you remember this as well. Eric Stevens and Roderick Strong over Kenny King and Rhett Titus. Brent Albright over Claudio Castagnoli, who you now know as Cesaro. Bobby Dempsey over Adam Pierce, Jerry Lynn over Mike Quackenbush. Delirious Necro Butcher and Tyler Black, Seth Rollins, over Austin Aries, Brody Lee and Jimmy Jacobs. Austin Aries over Delirious, Brody Lee and Necro Butcher uh, wrestled to a countout. Tyler Black defeated Austin Aries by submission. Tyler Black defeated Jimmy Jacobs. Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, and Cole Cabana over Bison Smith and Jimmy Rave. D'Lo Brown over Jay Briscoe. El Generico, Sami Zayn, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens, defeated the American Wolves in a no-DQ match to retain the tag titles. And the uh, main event, Nigel McGuinness over Kenta by submission to retain Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. Same year, Monday Night Raw, to intensify the WrestleMania match between Randy Orton and Triple H. I remember this well, and I remember our episode talking about it. Triple H, handcuffed to the corner of the ring. Randy Orton gives her one of those DDTs, you know, when the feet are hanging on the ropes. Uh, he get, hits her with a DDT and then uh, is basically hanging over to her like, you know, like, a, like a snake. And he kisses her for an extended kiss on the lips, making Triple H go nuts. I remember the time we were making a big deal about it because I believe she was now a mother. And it was just, I don't know, the storyline just did not feel all that great at the time. It wasn't disturbing in any PC way. It just, you know, felt like it fell flat in a lot of ways. But it was this week in 09, that infamous DDT and kiss that Randy Orton did to Stephanie. 2010, Jeff Jarrett defeats Mick Foley in TNA Impact in a no-DQ career versus career match. With the loss, Mick Foley was fired from TNA. On the way out, Bubba the Love Sponge is standing by like an exit door, and I remember this clearly. Bubba the Love Sponge basically tries to interview Mick Foley. Mick Foley is not a fan of Bubba the Love Sponge. He uh, nails Bubba the Love Sponge with a shot. Didn't do it on purpose but he actually gave him a bloody nose and a black eye. And ultimately on social media, Mick Foley apologized for the punch and it was an errant punch. And, you know, look, I'm not a fan of Bubba the Love Sponge. You know that, any regular listener. But 
I don't remember him threatening to sue or anything like that. It was an errant shot. He took it like a man, and that's that. 2010, Goldberg announces that he is in negotiations to return to the WWE. Unfortunately, those negotiations fell through. He did not return until 2016. Originally, it was the cross-promotion with the WWE video game 2K17, and then he would obviously, you know, Hall of Fame, Universal Championship, blah, blah, blah. The rest is history. So there were a couple of negotiations with Hall of Fames that did not pan out all that well. So Goldberg was 2010, and as I said earlier, I originally was going to post a photo and a synopsis, but nobody voted for it. I think from now on, I'm going to post like 10 pictures online, and I'll have people vote like two or three photos that don't make the cut. Instead of people choosing who they want to see, maybe choose who you don't make the cut. But Pete Rose, to hype up the Hall of Fame, did a little vignette behind the scenes where he's talking to Christian. He's about to walk in his in his dressing room. He opens the door. The room is all red. Kane comes out, and, you know, Pete Rose, funny as hell. Not again. And Kane is basically, uh, you know, beating him up, quote-unquote. I like the segment. It happened this week in 10. Also this week in 2010, you know, you talk about the Divas revolution, evolution, you know, progression, you know, whatever. It was a pretty damn good match on Raw. Michelle McCool, Layla, and Maurice over Gail Kim, Beth Phoenix, and Eve Torres. I mean, go watch that match. That happened back in 2000. And you hear about this Divas revolution, evolution. No, there were points in recent years where WWE showcased the women and showcased them well. Yeah, maybe they didn't get as much ring time. Yeah, maybe they didn't main event, you know, a lot of events. But, you know, it's fans dictate that. And it's a lot of what happens today feels forced. And I think that's why it's not going over as well as WWE anticipated it to go over. But still, you know, the way you watch WWE today with the women, it's as if, you know, they never got a shot before. So go check that out in 2010. Now, I mentioned Goldberg in 10, you know, negotiating with WWE, and it didn't work out. It happened a year later. 2011, WWE tries to negotiate with Ultimate Warrior, and uh, that deal fell through as well. Um, Ultimate Warrior at the time wrote a long statement online chronologically what happened. Um, He declined. He explained that Vince had called him and said, let's get you into the Hall of Fame. And you can read the statement online. You know, the Ultimate Warrior explaining why he didn't want to go in at that time. And you got to remember, you know, Ultimate Warrior got a lot of bullshit because of the self-destruction in the Ultimate Warrior video. You know, the things with Kevin Nash and some others. So there were things going on at those bunch of years. I don't blame Ultimate Warrior for not wanting to go in right away. He would eventually go in in 2014. And obviously we know the tragic passing of the Ultimate Warrior. But it was three years earlier when he was initially asked to go in and the negotiations between him and Vince did not work out. 2011, Kurt Angle was arrested in Grand Forks, North Dakota, failed a sobriety test. Now, I'm not going to get into the little definitions and explanations, you know, as far as where a vehicle was on the road and this, this, and that, but if you actually look it up and you understand where his vehicle was at the time, you know, what it was in an area where it shouldn't have been. And what had happened was Kurt Angle had told police he had hit an icy patch on the road. And because he hit the icy patch, you know, he decided to stop and pull over. When they found his vehicle, it was in the middle 
of a median separating lanes. That is not a safe place to be. He was at a stop. They smelled alcohol on his breath, and they arrested him and charged him with being in the control of a motor vehicle while intoxicated. They couldn't hit him with a regular DWI because the vehicle was not in motion. It wasn't that he was stopped at a red light or anything like that because you, know, you think about it. If you're stopped at a red light and you're not wearing your seatbelt, you know, anybody that you know gets tickets that has, lives in a state where you could get a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt, if you're stopped at a red light and you're not wearing your seatbelt, that vehicle is considered in motion and you can get a ticket even though you are stopped at a traffic uh, traffic signal. But in the case of Kurt Angle, he's in the middle of a median at a stop, they smelled alcohol, so they brought him in for being behind a wheel, intoxicated, you know, but not moving. He uh, would plead guilty to the charges, sentenced to one year of unsupervised probation, chemical dependency evaluation, and he got fined about $500 between the fine and court costs, a 10-day suspended sentence. At that time, it was his third arrest while under contract with TNA. His first arrest was in Moon Township, Pennsylvania in 2007. This was the the story where he had left the bar and several people had seen his vehicle, uh, vehicle swerving in the road, so they called the cops. Kurt Angle would get home, and then the cops would ring his bell, and they would uh, you know, see that he was intoxicated, and they arrested him. They charged him with driving under the influence, but because the vehicle was already parked and Kurt Angle was already home, they actually ended up dropping the charges. So, and the other incident was the Rockacon incident in 2009. So at this time, this was his third arrest on the TNA and God bless Kurt Angle for uh, cleaning up his act and uh, straightening out. God bless him. Go to WWE Network and watch that documentary uh, of how he has really turned his life around and uh, but it's still after reported this week in history, Kurt Angle arrested for uh, driving, well, being behind the wheel, intoxicated. You know, for several weeks now, I was playing promos going back and forth of John Cena and The Rock and vice versa. And it makes you wonder if some of the um, promos that are not on the WWE Network, I have brought up recently how the Rock concerts are not there. Maybe it has to do with the original agreement that WWE had with GLAAD. I don't know if you all remember this, but back in 2011, Glad uh, had complained quite a bit with WWE about John Cena's promos and some of the things that he was saying. And they actually posted publicly some of Cena's promos and some of the innuendos that Cena said at the time he wore lipstick and get shorty and rocked the skirt for the game plan. I'm like a pig, a big purple pinwheel. So go ahead and blow me. Just don't go racing to which mountain because your mountain is broke back. You know, he was doing a lot of innuendos about gay and not being a man and this, this, and that. And Glad was not happy. And people were in an uproar. And WWE announced that they would be working with Glad to create and promote anti-bullying initiatives aimed at their core audience, and even invited Glad to uh, to some of their training sessions. Glad had originally contacted WWE executives and explained the problem with uh, some of the vignettes and promos. WWE said that they take that very seriously, and they're taking steps to work with Glad to ensure our fans know that WWE is against bullying or discrimination based on sexual orientation, and uh, the rest is history. 
So, you know, look, this is entertainment and the characters in the ring are supposed to be playing characters. So if you're playing a character and you're making jokes and it's not real life, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you could do, if you think about it, every movie that discriminates or every movie that's an abuse towards a woman or any movie that is, why isn't these organizations in an uproar? Because it's entertainment, it's movies. I don't know. I mean, I could get it. Young people, they look at wrestling as real life, but that's what parents are supposed to be for. That's what education, and you're supposed to say, ah, this is, you know, just entertainment. It's not real life. John Cena is not saying that real life about The Rock. Ah, oh, man. 2011, Johnny Swinger loses his hair in a hair versus hair match. He and Zach Daniels lost to the exotic ones. Rick Michaels and Simon Sermon took place for a promotion PWA in Georgia. 2011, funny story, happened on TV Week's website, tvweek.com. He covered a story about Drew Carey's induction into the celebrity wing in the WWE Hall of Fame. And the uh, article said Drew Carey inducted into pro wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, because they used the term pro wrestling, WWE was not happy. Their publicist, Kelly Baldga, demanded via email to tvweek.com that they change the headline. And the website was so, like, annoyed at the, like, little bullshit about it, they actually wrote public the back and forth between Kelly and TV Week. And, um... The conversation went like this. All right, TV Week. Your release says that Carrie is being recognized as an entrant in the 2001 Royal Rumble. I believe that's a wrestling event. Kelly says, no, WWE does not do wrestling events. They're entertainments. And we don't call them wrestlers. They're superstars and divas. TV Week. I don't really have time for this. WWE presents wrestling events. I'm not going to change the headline or anything in the in the item. If you'd like, I'll just remove it. So Kelly's like, huh, what? Remove it? And they say, yeah, Kelly, I don't have time for this. What do you want me to do? So Kelly says, remove it. So they removed the whole article. Then Kelly on behalf of WWE sends a follow-up email saying, quote, I hope nothing was contentious in our conversation. I know the perception is that we are a wrestling company. We are actually much more than that. We are a global media company, which is how our chairman and CEO Vince McMahon positions us. So you go back to the whole glad thing. If you're an entertainment company and it's entertainment in the ring and it's not real life, you know, why do you cave in? Man. 2013, weird injury happened to Sean Waltman. I don't know if you remember this, but he was at a wrestling event and he actually did a Bronco Buster and he tore his ass. He legitimately tore his asshole. He tore a muscle in his ass, lost a lot of blood, had to undergo surgery. And at that time, I think he was in a relationship with, was it Ryan Shamrock? I don't remember, but I think she might have been the one that actually posted the story originally. But yeah, it was this week of 2013 that X-Pac really tore his uh, his bungle. <laughs> I sound like, you get immediate thought back to Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Bungle. Yeah. Uh, also 2013. Documentary. Short-lived, but it was iconic at the time. Glow. The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling Documentary is released on DVD. And I've seen it. It's definitely worth a look. Go check it out. 2014. Christian wrestles his last ever WWE match. 
He defeated Dolph Ziggler, Sheamus, and Alberto Del Rio on Monday Night Raw. Unfortunately, 2016, and it makes you wonder, since WWE did not put him in the Hall of Fame the last two years, even though he's had some massive health issues. In fact, I think recently he had to get open-heart surgery. Vader had an incident on social media. Apparently, he had dated a girl. They broke up, and she had access to his Twitter. Now, when you look in this day and age as far as the criminality that's involved with posting naked videos or photos of someone without their consent. Now, yeah, of course, Vader is probably his excuses. Look, I'm not going to put a girl in jail over it and this and that. But, you know, it makes you wonder. You know, you can't cancel 911. It's a phrase that we've said on the shows before. Um, if authorities saw that a woman posted a nude screenshot of Vader's penis on Twitter, whether Vader posted a complaint or not, I don't know if the cops could could still do something about it. But nothing was done legally. But what had happened was in 2000, we went on Twitter, and everybody was screenshotting Big Van Vader's Twitter account. And basically what it shows is Vader appears to be sitting in a hotel room because you look at the lamp and you look at the TV and you kind of think, I don't think that's how his bedroom looks. It might be a hotel. Who knows? But he's laying on the bed and you see him from his chest down and there's his penis basically hanging over and uh, not erect in any way, but he's just laying there with his penis exposed and it showed up on his Twitter feed and the photo was there for a while and then uh, taken down and Vader posted an apology, not saying that he was hacked or, you know, somebody posted a fake photo. He said that his ex-girlfriend had access to his Twitter account and she posted the nude photo. So if you go to our synopsis, obviously we edited out the penis, but if you want to see what the photo looked like and the apology at that time, there you go. That same week in 2016, yourshow.tv, and that's spelled U-R-S-H-O-W.tv, presented your fight from the Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, Arizona. And the reason why I bring this, it's, it's a pretty unique concept, and we'll leave you with this this week. It was an event that included uh, MMA, boxing, and wrestling. So we had predetermined fights, shoot fights, and boxing all on the same card. Now, a match that was scheduled for that event, Ken Shamrock versus Dan Severn, was bumped because, if you remember, we reported a couple of weeks ago, Ken Shamrock had failed a drug test at Bellator 149, and as a result, that match could not take place. So we had that night, as far as the wrestling side of it, Rey Mysterio over Kurt Angle in a two out of three best falls match. Rey uh, defeated Angle two, two matches to one. And Roy Jones Jr. defeated Viren Phillips via KO in the second round. Had Phillips won, he would have gotten $100,000. Now, when you look at a stipulation like that, you kind of say to yourself, okay, was this somehow staged? I don't know. And I'm not looking it up. But uh, some of the other events on the card, Shalil Sonin and Michael Bisping fought to a draw in a metamorphosis rules match. Uh, the bout could have only been won via submission. Shannon Rich defeated Maverick Harvey via submission. And a dark match, Kobe Ortiz over Brendan Tierney via TKO in the third round. 
Notable birthdays this week, those celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Salvador Luthroth Gonzalez, Gorgeous George, Jumbo Ceruta, and Chris Candido. Happy birthday to all of you. God rest your souls. Buck Zumoff, I think he's in jail, turns age 67. Volano number 366. Wayne Bloom, age 60. Sting turns 59. Barry Horowitz, 58. Ray Mendoza Jr., 56. The Undertaker turns 53. Medeja and Christopher Daniels turn 48. Hiroshi Tenzan turns 47. Sick Boy turns 45. Takashi Sato turns 40. Jessica Darlin, 42. Homicide and Sylvain Granier turn 41. D'Angelo De Niro turns 40. Ray Gordy, 39. Jack Swagger and Epico turn 36. Mike Mondo, 35. And last but not least, Lana. Happy birthday, she turns 33. Notable deaths this week, and there were quite a few. Scotty Williams died at the age of 94. Joe Blanchard, 83. Baron Miguel Cicluna died at age 80. Sailor Art Thomas died at 79. Wally Carbo at 77. Warren Bockwinkle, 74. Dr. Bill Miller, 69. Sir Oliver Humperdink and Moondog Spike died at age 62. Gypsy Joe died at age 59. Benny Maguire, 54. Steve Dunn, 48. Bestia Salvaje and Big John Studd died at 46. Cincinnati Red died at 40. Skull Murphy, 39. Abismo Negro passed away at 37. Chase Tatum and Pearl Aguayo Jr. died at 35. And Brian Cox died this week at age 33. Everyone, I hope you enjoyed this week in wrestling history. I am Don Tony bidding you farewell. Once again, follow me on Twitter at Don Tony D. The website, dontony.com. If you want to email me, it is dontony at dontony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. And if you like what we do and you want to help support the shows, keep the lights on, keep the bills paid, check out our Patreon page. It is patreon.com slash dontony. Not only will you help us with the expenses of our shows, but we have exclusive shows on Patreon and contests all the time. We're going to have a WrestleMania pay-per-view predictions contest. You got to see the prize wall. I mean, the prize wall is not, you know, a little video T-shirt. I mean, you got prizes there that are in the hundreds of dollars of range. And Patreon is a very small, tight-knit family. So trust me, if you sign up there and you take part in the contest, it's not like you have a 1 in 10,000 chance of winning something. It's more like 1 in maybe a couple of hundred. And there's autographs from Eddie Guerrero there. It's just there's so much cool shit. Owen Hart, go check it out. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. You also have Patreon-exclusive shows there. You got uh, Breakfast Soup, which is hosted by yours truly, and Mish of Wrestling Soup. We've done, I think, 46 episodes there. Kev Castle, you always want or demand solo shows of Kev Castle without me talking on him. See, he's got his solo show, Castle Chronicles, there as well as over 45 episodes, and there's lots of other stuff. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of hours of exclusive content there. You get access to all of it for as little as five bucks, patreon.com slash Don Tony. All right, everyone, I'm out of here. Enjoy the rest of the week. I will be back one week from today, which will be my birthday, March 27th. I will be back once again. The show must go on with your next episode of this week in wrestling history. Everyone be well. I'll catch you all soon. Ciao.
So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at Marshall's. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply.